Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. We are in week two of a message series that we are calling Shine. And here's what we're learning together. We're learning that real faith shines. Would you say that with me, everybody? Say, real faith shines. There was a little boy that had a part in a kid's program on a Sunday morning at church. My dad used to tell the story of how this little boy had been really working on his part. It was just one line. He would be dressed as Jesus that morning. He'd have his little robe on and have his, uh, his wig and his fake beard and he would come out. He just had one line and his mom had been working with him all week to get it down. And uh, all he had to do was just step out to the middle of the stage, put his little arms out like this and declare, I am the light of the world world. And man, they had really gotten it down. He, 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 had, he, he was nailing it. And, and so Sunday morning rolled around. Uh, it came that part of the service where it's time for him to step out, deliver his line. He got out in the middle of the stage, put his little hands up, and man, stage fright took over. He could not think of his line. I mean, to save his life, he just couldn't think of his line. But his, his mom is right there in the front row. And like a good mom, should, she decided, I'm going to help him with it. And so she began to whisper, I am the light of the world. He leaned over a little bit so, she, so he could hear her better. She said, I am the light of the world. You could still see it wasn't registering. She got a little louder. She said, I am the light of the world. And boy, you saw it when it hit him. He put those hands back up and he said, my mom is the light of the world. <laughs> now, I'm sharing that story with you today because that's what Jesus said we are. He said we are the light of the world. But I also want you to know your mom can't be that light for you. Your dad can't, your spouse can't, your kids can't, your friends, your family can't be the light shining in the darkness that God called you to be. Every one of us are to be that light shining in the darkness around us. And anything less than it truly being us kind of, uh, you know, illuminating that darkness by the grace of God, anything less than that isn't real. If we're trying to walk out somebody else's faith, what somebody else believes, there's an inauthenticity to that. And so today, as we continue to focus on the truth that real faith shines, I want to just really make sure that I add this caveat to that, and that is that real faith shines with authenticity, that light has to be real. It, it's got to be authentic. It, it, it cannot be, um, it can't be something that we're just drumming up, you know, just something that we're play acting with. Listen to Romans chapter 12. I hope you guys, uh, again, we just talked about how much we value the Bible. So I hope you don't mind if I share a good bit of scripture with you today. Is that okay? Uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 9 said, let love be genuine. Again, it cannot be inauthentic. It cannot be disingenuous. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. If our light is going to shine in the darkness, it's because the love that we have for God is real. It is sincere. And in that sincerity, we learn to hate, to abhor that which is evil. We, we break away from that. We separate uh, that or separate ourselves from that, and, and, and we hold fast to, or we cling to what is good. That's what real love, real faith does, and it causes 
our faith to shine. First John chapter one and verse six said, if we say we have fellowship with God and yet keep on walking in the darkness, watch this, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Once again, the scripture is declaring our faith must be authentic. It must be real. I don't think that scripture is implying that we're going to reach a, pay, a place of perfection, you know, where we never make a mistake. No, no, no. But our whole heart is committed to God. We're going after God. When we make those mistakes, we own those mistakes and we get it right with God. Uh, again, it is an authentic faith that's always going to shine. It's real faith that shines in authenticity. Listen to John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 24, where Jesus declared, God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We must worship him in spirit and with authenticity and uh, with a genuine, sincere commitment to the Lord. The, the Bible is full of examples of people who tried to uh, live in a, a pretense of, of, of being the light of the world, of being connected to the light of the world. The scripture is full of examples. Uh, one that comes to mind is Judas. This is one of the hand-selected disciples of Jesus. He's following Jesus every day. He's privy to the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. Uh, he, he's heard it all, he's seen it all, and yet the Bible said he was a thief from the beginning. He's going along, he's going through the motions, he's, he's hanging out with the light, but he's not light himself. He was a thief from the beginning. And can I just say that if yours is, in a, if yours is an inauthentic faith, if it is a, a disingenuine faith, if it's not real, it will not be long before you start robbing God before you start taking from God the glory that belongs only to him. Amen? Amen. Then I think of um, that first century church and how God was moving among those early apostles and followers of Jesus. People were coming to Christ, coming to salvation by faith, uh, uh, through grace uh, in Christ by the thousands. And, and, and they're so devoted to God. They're so excited about their faith in Christ and what God's done in their life, that they're wanting to see the gospel go all over the world. And so they begin to actually sell their properties and possessions and, and lay the money at the apostles' feet so those monies could be used to sh go around the world and share the gospel with people living in darkness. And, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 5. It's a powerful moment. And there's a couple in that early first century church named Ananias and Sapphira who kind of get caught up in it all and uh, they want to be light. They want to shine too. And so they sell their own property, but then they decide to hold back some of the money and be dishonest about it or disingenuous in their, uh, you know, appearance of, uh, of a real full commitment to what's going on uh, in the early church. And so uh, Ananias comes and he brings a portion of the money that he's gotten from his property sale and he lays it at the apostles' feet and Simon Peter, because of a, a gift of discernment, asks Ananias, hey, is this, is this everything? Is this all that was generated by this sale? And Ananias assures him that it was and if you know the story, I mean... The judgment of God comes upon him. He falls dead right there on the spot. A little bit later, his wife comes in 
Once again, through a spirit of discernment, Peter asks her, hey, is this the price you and Ananias got for the property? She says, yes. Boom, she falls down and she dies as well. I'm usually tempted to take an offering after I share that story, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna gonna do that. But, But great fear sees the church in that day. And we should still walk in a healthy fear of God today uh, understanding that God's not going to put up with that disingenuous, insincere, phony stuff that sometimes we try to peddle off as faith in God. Come on, y'all. So, so we see examples of this. We see examples of this, Old Testament, New Testament alike. I don't know of a greater example of what I'm describing here in an inauthentic faith Then the story of Rehoboam, and you may be familiar with it, in in case you're not, let me real quickly give you a little history lesson. Rehoboam is the grandfather of King David, the man after God's own heart. He is the son of King Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest man who ever lived. Uh, I want to take up on the narrative of his story in 1 Kings chapter 14. And I'll start reading at verse 21. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Naamah, and she was an Ammonite. And Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And by the sins they committed, they stirred up God's jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones, and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. And all those are forms of of false worship to idols and false gods. Verse 24 said, there were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. And in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, the king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem and he carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them and assigned these to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance to the royal palace. And whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards bore the shields and afterwards they returned them to the guard room. And as for the other events of Rehoboam's reign and all uh, he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and Rehoboam rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. What a powerful story. And maybe you're sitting here today or you're joining us online and you wonder, well, what's Rehoboam's story got to do with me? I'm so glad you asked. It has everything to do with an authentic faith. Living out a faith in Christ that is genuine, that is sincere, that is real. I've already mentioned Rehoboam's grandfather, again, was the man. That's how he went down in history. God called him a man after his own heart. His father was the wisest man who ever lived. God called him that. And yet Rehoboam goes down in history as the man who tries to make brass shields shine like gold. I don't want that to be my legacy. 
I don't want my spiritual legacy to be a guy who was always making something that wasn't real shine like it was. To me, that is that inauthentic, insincere, disingenuous form of faith that's always going to get us in trouble. It's it's always going to lead to us robbing God of the glory that's due his great name. It's always going to lead into the type of spiritual death that Ananias and Sapphira suffered. And again, I don't want that to be my legacy. Do you? So we've got to ask ourselves this morning, what have I brought into the treasury? Rehoboam's daddy brought something real into the house of the Lord. What am I bringing? Maybe your daddy, like mine. Your mom, like mine. Maybe your grandparents, your great-grandparents were people of great faith, people people who lived for God and and served the Lord with such genuine, authentic, sincere faith in Christ. The question isn't, what would your mama do or your your grandmama do? The question is, what are you bringing into the treasury? What are, what are you giving? What are you bringing to the table? Is your faith real? The question is, uh, am I producing gold or am I just polishing brass? The Bible teaches us that there's a day coming when even as a believer, we're going to answer for what we did with our life. We're going to stand before a throne of judgment. It won't be the the great white throne judgment that sinners stand before where they're eternally rejected and and sent into eternal punishment. No, no, no. As a believer, I won't stand before that throne, but I will stand before the Bema seat judgment where before Christ, I answer for what what I did, for for how I lived. And and my works are going to be tried, the Bible said, as like with fire, And after that trial of fire before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, what I did will either, will either survive and exist in the form of gold and silver and precious stones that I lay at Jesus' feet, or it will burn up in that fire and be nothing but ash heap before him. Can I say one more time? I don't want that legacy. I want real gold to lay at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to spend my life polishing brass in some insincere form of faith. So let me, let me just take and, and acquaint you a little bit with some of the mistakes that Rehoboam made. I didn't have time to include them in the narrative today, but they're there in 1 Kings. You can read them for yourself. And, and I want to show you just five things that I think really left Rehoboam, who had this amazing heritage, and yet he goes down in history as a man who tries to make brass shields shine like gold shields. Here's five mistakes I believe that he, that he made. Number one, he rejected the counsel of the elders. You see, there were godly men at that time who tried to speak into Rehoboam's life, but he wouldn't listen. He rejected their counsel and just did what he wanted to do. Can I tell you that there's some wise people that God wants to put in your life as well? When I tell you the first mistake that Rehoboam made was to reject the counsel of the elders, what I'm saying to you is he had no mentor. He had no discipler. Who's your mentor? Who's discipling you? I turned 60 years old here in a few days, and can I tell you, I still have mentors in my life, disciples in my life. If you were here Wednesday night for our first Inspire Night of the Year, you heard from one of them. The reason we have an apostolic leader as a church 
who helps with the governance of our church is because he is someone I trust, someone who's been in my life for decades now, speaking into my life so much of who I am and what I teach and believe and carry out. I've learned at the feet of someone who's been going after God longer than I have, who's had uh, a, such a precious connection to our Savior. And, and, and for years now, I've gleaned from him, I've, I've learned from him, and, and I want to ask Again, who are you gleaning from? Who are you learning from? The reason I ask you these questions is because our worth is always determined by investment. Most of you know just a a few months ago in October of last year, Don and I sold our little farm that we've been living on uh, for over 20 years. And when we sold our house, and I say this to the glory of God, this isn't any kind of a boast or bragging on our part, but, but we actually... Uh, got twice of what we spent for that little farm 20 years ago. It, it sold for twice as much as what we purchased it for. But there's a reason for that. For 20 years, we've been investing in the place. And so the, the value of that property increased with the investment and your value will do the same. When you have someone investing in you, someone pouring into you, uh, your value, your worth is going to increase because of that investment. I love the book of Proverbs. I read it uh, every day. I, I learn from and glean from that book of wisdom in the Old Testament. By the way, there's 31 chapters. You can read a chapter a day. And it, there's such great, godly, and yet very practical wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. Have you ever noticed in Proverbs how many of those wise sayings, which by the way, were written, most of them, by Rehoboam's dad, Solomon. Have you ever noticed how many of those Proverbs start like this? My son. And then the truth is shared. The wisdom is is given. My son, my son. So many of them start off with my son. Who is this guy? It's Rehoboam. It's the one who rejected the wisdom of his elders. He rejected the wisdom of his father before him, his grandfather before him, and it left him polishing brass. Number two. Second thing that I see that leaves him in that state is number two, he surrounds himself with yes men. He put his buddies around him who would tell him not what he needed to hear, but what he wanted to hear. I hope this isn't sounding familiar to you. Who's surrounding you? By the way, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, young men, submit yourself to the elders. Get somebody speaking into your life. And, and don't surround yourself with yes people, people who are going to tell you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear. What I'm saying about Rehoboam is that he had no accountability. He had no one that he answered to. He had no one really asking him the difficult questions of life. Do you? Do you have people that love you enough to have hard conversations with you? Do you have people that love you enough to ask you the the difficult, uncomfortable questions that you need to be asked? Who do you answer to? Listen, no matter how much of an investment one is made, if that investment isn't properly insured, it's worthless. That property out in Brobridge, our little farm, grew in value as we invested, but the truth was the investment was protected by insurance. If there's no insurance there, one hurricane wipes out my investment, right? One fire wipes out my investment. Are you properly insured? 
Is your life properly insured? And I'll tell you how your life will become really properly insured. It's going to be insured by some form of covering, some type of of accountability where you're answering for your actions. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, a worldwide uh, denomination, evangelical denomination, second leading missions organization in the world behind the Southern Baptist Convention. And I, I grew up in that organization. And one of our heroes as young men coming up, one of our heroes of the faith was a man named Jimmy Swaggart. And many of you know that name. You're familiar with that name. And in, in my years growing up in the 70s and 80s, I mean, he was, he was right up there with Billy Graham holding crusades all over the world, uh, a weekly national, actually worldwide telecast. And all of us boys called to the ministry really grew up thinking we just want to be like Jimmy. We want to be like uh, Jimmy Swaggart. And I remember the day I was coming home from Alexandria back here to Lafayette. I remember the day when the news broke that um, Jimmy Swaggart had fallen into gross immorality. I'm telling you, I had to pull the car off on the shoulder of the road and I just began to weep. I, uh, the first thought I had was that scripture in the Old Testament that said, oh, how the mighty have fallen. I, I, I just wept there on the side of the road. And, and I began to think to myself, dear God, if, if, if Jimmy Swaggart can't make it, how in the world am I going to make it? And the Spirit of God spoke very sovereignly to me that day. I'll never forget it. The Spirit of the Lord spoke very sovereignly in my heart. And ask me, who are you answering to? Who's asking you the hard questions? Who are you accountable to? And there was no one. I mean, there was no one. But that changed that day. As soon as I got home, I got on the phone with a man that was further along in his spiritual journey than I was, who really, I believe, loved me. And I believed he would, he would provide that covering for me. And I asked him, would you be that accountability partner in my life. And I've got people like that in my life to this day. Have you ever thought about what covering really does? Covering keeps you warm, man. It's a cold world out there. Anybody learn that the hard way? It's a cold, cold world. And, and a spiritual covering can keep you warm and it can protect you. We, um, uh, we were walking through our neighborhood uh, early last week before the cold weather came in. And uh, I started noticing that several houses in our neighborhood had their landscaping covered with some type of tarp or, or something like that. Later in the week, I was out doing a, a run early in the morning. And as I would pass those houses where the tarps were a few days before, the tarps were gone now that it had warmed up. And what I noticed was the houses that had the tarps over the landscaping, the landscaping looked good, it looked fresh, it looked alive. And the houses that didn't, man, everything was drooping, everything was dying. Can you hear what I'm telling you today? You need a covering over your life. You need someone you answer to. If you don't, it's going to leave you polishing brass. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. There's all kind of people that'll kiss up to your sin. Give me a friend that will wound me because he loves me and tell me the things I need to hear versus the things I want to hear. Number three, the third thing that I see that left Rehoboam as just a guy polishing brass is number three he allowed his kingdom to be filled with compromises 
while all along bearing the name of the Lord. And before we're too quick to judge Rehoboam, how many of us have done the same? We've allowed the kingdom of our existence to be filled with all kind of compromises and yet still call ourselves a, a believer, still show through the motions. This is what left Rehoboam just polishing brass. He had no standards. He had no commitment to holiness, to, to real integrity. Do you? Do, do we? Do we have that real commitment to integrity, to, to holiness? Do we have standards? Who's, who's really helping to set the standards for your life? I hope it's not Washington, D.C., I hope it's not Hollywood, I mean Hollywood, excuse me. Who is setting those standards in your life? And, and is there a real commitment to those standards, to that integrity, to that personal holiness before God? Under Rehoboam's reign, Israel set up high places, sacred stones, Asherah poles, all of these facilitated pagan worship. In our life, I believe the high place represents pride within our life. Uh, the sacred stones represent habits that are compromising, that we're allowing in our life. The Asherah poles represent different forms of immorality that we're openly embracing today, or maybe not openly, maybe secretly embracing today, while all along claiming to belong to the Lord. I'm telling you, that disingenuous, insincere, phony form of faith, don't cut, it doesn't cut it with God. And it will leave us polishing brass. Number four, I see in Rehoboam's story, and you can read it there for yourself in 1 Kings, he left the treasures unguarded. Shishak was able just to walk in and and just take what he wanted because Rehoboam had left the treasures unguarded. I, I believe what that means for us is he had no real devotion life. He had no real life of devotion that protected what he should treasure most. How about us? What's protecting what we say we treasure? I'm telling you that a life of devotion will protect the real treasures of your existence. But if you're leaving those treasures unguarded, it's a clear sign you don't treasure them anymore. We've got to guard what we say we treasure, but it's hard to guard the treasuries when you're under an Asherah pole, compromising with this world. So we've got to have that that life of devotion to the Lord that we carry out daily because that is the protective measure that will keep those treasures front and center within our life instead of trying to replace those treasures with something that's not even real. Number five, last thing. Here's what I think left Rehoboam, the grandson of the man after God's own heart, the son of the wisest man who ever lived, just with a legacy of brass polishing as he rejected the counsel of the elders, he surrounded himself with yes people, he allowed his kingdom to be filled with compromising while all along bearing the name of the Lord. He attempted, or, or, or he left the treasures rather unguarded. And then the last thing I'll point out is number five, he attempted to replace the genuine with the counterfeit. Wow. I, 
I don't think I'll ever be able to do that because I lived with the counterfeit for so long. The addictions that I was suffering in before I came to Christ, they were the counterfeit. The bar room was my church. The alcohol was the spirit in my life. You, you know, they call that stuff spirits. All of these friends that really cared nothing for me at all, they were just there as long as I was buying. That was the congregation. And it was all just a phony counterfeit. But I'm so thankful that almost 40 years ago, I found the real thing. I found the real thing. I met the genuine article. I found Jesus. And he set me free. And I will never, ever, ever again be content with some counterfeit. We can't replace what's genuine, what's real, with what's authentic with some counterfeit form of worship. I think Rehoboam had no concept of what real worship is. And I wonder if we do. I, I hope we understand today. Worship's more than a service on Sunday morning. It's more than a, a, a group of songs that we sing or a particular genre on Spotify. Worship is how we live our lives. It's, it's how we treat each other. It's, it's how we live, how we move, how we have our being. It, it's been said it's been said that Christians don't tell lies, we sing them. We come into a service like this and read words off of a screen that we put a melody to and we sit here and we call that worship when in actuality we haven't lived anything we are declaring through that song. Today, we can't make the mistakes of Rehoboam. Romans 12 verse one said, my dear friends, because of God's great mercy to us, I, I appeal to you, Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service, pleasing to him. This is the true worship you should offer. It's not just a song. It's not just a trip to church. It's my very life that I live out to his glory that that really makes up a true, genuine, sincere, authentic form of faith that will shine. To shine, we've got to commit ourselves to an authentic form of faith. Anything less will leave us polishing brass. So I'll close with a Rehoboam reversal. If we want to really shine, here's the Rehoboam reversal we've got to commit to today. Number one, seek out discipleship. I don't care what stage of life you're in or de spiritual development you're in. There's always more you can learn from someone. Come on. So seek out discipleship. Uh, I, I want to encourage you uh, here at Crossroads, that looks like next steps. You hear us promote it all the time. Uh, it's a great way to get that started. And then that's going to point you towards our spiritual growth track where you can have a semester of discovery, learn what the Bible teaches and how to apply that to your life. You can have a, a, a semester of deliverance where you, you get, get rid of all the Asherah poles in your life. You move beyond all the sacred stones, right? And the, and the high hills of your life and you live in freedom. Uh, and, and you can get a foundation built where you're going to really take on the spiritual disciplines that's going to help your faith be authentic as God would have it to be. Number two, uh, again, this is just the Rehoboam reversal. Number two, be ac accountable. 
Get someone that you answer to. I, I'll give you a, just a, a real practical example of what I'm describing. This tablet that I use every week that has my sermon notes on it, uh, along with my, my phone, my iPhone, my, my computer that I use, all of them have um, programs loaded on them that generate a report to people that I answer to weekly that lets them know where I've been on the internet. Hey, there's a reason why they call it a web. Because the enemy wants to set a trap for you that you can get caught in. And I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to answer for what I'm looking at on my computer, what, what the places that I'm going on the World Wide Web. I'm going to answer for that. That's just a form of accountability. I use the Ever Accountable software. You can Google that and find that. And, but find those different ways to be accountable to someone. Number three, battle any form of compromise within your life. Those habits, that pride, any form of immorality that's still ongoing within your life, it's time to battle that. It's time to pull out the sword of the Spirit and put that to death so you can live the holy life that God's called you to and please Him. Number four, Commit to a daily devotional time. The reason we're doing this 21 days of prayer and fasting, by the way, you still have 14 days that you can engage with us. And I, I believe that's plenty of time to form a habit. We want you to have these holy habits that are gonna actually just help you um, to guard the treasures of your life. So man, come and connect with us in the 21 days of prayer. Uh, begin a a Bible reading program. I'll tell you the one I'm using right now. I have a read through the Bible in a year guide that I'm following and I'm using the fire Bible to follow it. So I'm not just reading the chapters, but I'm also reading the commentary that accompanies the chapters and I am loving it. It's just so rich, so full of great insights. I highly recommend you get you a fire Bible, you get you a, a reading uh, plan and begin to guard the treasures of your life through your daily devotion. Then number five, make everything worship. Make everything worship. Sunday morning isn't your only form of worship, right? Uh, how you work, the, the job you put in day to day, uh, how you treat your spouse, how you raise your kids, how you spend your money, all of that is a form of worship that either gives God glory or robs God of his glory, right? And so our whole life has to be lived as worship, work, recreation, relationships, all of it. I'll close with this. There was a, um, a couple, man and his wife, young man and his wife, that began to show up every morning at a local ch church there in their parish. Every morning they would come and they would kneel in front of a statue of Christ there in the church. And the priest was so impressed with them. He thought, oh, this young couple must, such, must have such a, a, a rich, you know, genuine devotion to Christ. Every morning they'd be there. And that's what he thought of them. Until his janitor let him know, no, actually... They're using the wall plug right behind the statue to charge their phones every morning. And I wonder how many of us are before Christ because he's worthy and we want to know him more and we want to be like him. 
or whether we're just trying to charge our batteries in some way and just get ahead for ourselves. We need a faith that is authentic because real faith shines authentically. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to take just a moment and give you an invitation to accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that and you have no assurance in your heart that you're right with God, ready to meet God in eternity, I want you to consider a couple of things. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. You know, it's the one thing we all have in common. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. The scripture says that the price of our sin is separation from God. Now, God doesn't want us separated from Him. He wants to connect with us. It meant so much to Him that He sent His own Son, Jesus, to come to this earth and to die on the cross for our sins. He rose again. And now the Bible says if we place our faith in Christ, we can be forgiven. We can be made right with God. And we can have a brand new life here and now and an eternal life when this life is over. Again, if you have no assurance of that, you can. You simply need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God loves you and he's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on him. Why don't we do that right now? Let's call on God together by praying a very simple prayer. Repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you and I don't want that. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me and rose again. And through faith in Jesus, I believe my life can change. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive all my sin, and change my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I don't live for me anymore or the world anymore. God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And God, I thank you right now, even as I pray, according to your promise, my sins are forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you just prayed that prayer with us, we want to know about it. We want to celebrate with you. Uh, all you'll need to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to the number that's on your screen. Or uh, just go to the description below and you'll see a link that you can click there. And someone will connect with you and give you some next steps in your brand new faith in Jesus Christ. We're so excited that you've accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord today. Congratulations and God bless you.